Hey everyone, it's Sean. We're back with Push Talk today on October 6th, and we have a very special guest with us today. Today we have the one and only, um, I caught by, I might as Dr. Tua, even though it's probably not a doctor Tua, but Reverend Shannon Jones from the Concerned Black Clergy. Now, see that face, man. <laughs> I'm not a doctor, but I did, I did stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have him here for the Concerned Black Clergy. So, just starting off, um, tell us what the Concerned Black Clergy is, how you guys got founded. Um, what's the mission? So, you know, in the, in the uh, early 1980s, uh, Atlanta was gripped with uh, the death of children, missing children. Um, our children were disappearing, and we didn't know what was going on. And um, a group of clergy got together and said, we're going to meet at Pascal's because we're concerned about what's happening to our children. So they got together at Pascal's in 1982, and they met on a Monday. Uh, the only day that a pastor has off, they decided that that would be a, the day that they would meet. Uh, so they got together and uh, began to, to, to organize around search parties and to really give attention to the Atlanta missing and murdered children uh, situation that we had. And then as they grew from that, they said there's some other things that we're concerned about, homelessness, um, hopelessness in our city. Um, and that we need to begin to hold elected officials' feet to the fire. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so it really began kind of organically uh, that way. Um, and the mission has really focused on uh, black life um, in Atlanta, um, uh, stomping out poverty and homelessness, um, economic development, creation of black businesses. Um, and, and that, for the last 38 years, has been the work of, of, of concern, as well as being the griot of the community and bringing everybody together uh, for our weekly forums every Monday. Um, and then every once a month, on Thursday, COVID has stopped this, but once a month, uh, we would bring clergy together for a luncheon to just really talk clergy to clergy about uh, things that we need to be concerned about in, in, in the city, things that folks might not have their eye on um, but some things that we need to be looking at. And so we would do that and bring candidates before us, and that wouldn't be the whole committee, just be the clergy. Right. Um, and we would interview uh, various people and decide who was going to be the next mayor. So you didn't have a bunch of people that just jumped in and said, you know, I'm, I'm running for mayor. No, you didn't do that without meeting with Bishop Cornelius Henderson, uh, uh, Bishop McKinley Young, uh, AME Bishop, United Methodist Bishop. Um, Gerald Durley, Timothy McDonald, mm -hmm. um, Reverend Albert E. Love. You came and met with, with the clergy and said, this is what I think I want to do. And so the clergy was instrumental in guiding that. So that was, that, that's my long <laughs> arc of the historical historicity of the concerned black clergy. So um, who is concerned black clergy today? Like, what is it that you guys are focused on today? What is it that you guys are doing today? Things that you guys are passionate about today? Today, we are still focused on the issue of homelessness, um, which, you know, that's a, something that kind of keeps me, well, it doesn't keep me up at night, but it wakes me up before my alarm clock to think about the moratorium ending and, um, you know, the amount of people that we get calls every day about uh, issues of, of folks uh, not having food, food sensitivity homelessness um, and 
as President Jones's administration, I'm trying to get more clergy in concern. In my organization and outside of the four walls and into the psyche of really being concerned, excuse me, really be concerned about what's going on right. in our community. Um, I have a lot of community people that come and so we, you know, we, we, we're talking about black political life. We're talking about black economic life. We're still dealing with the issues of homelessness. We're still dealing with the issue of education in our schools. But I'm seeing an erosion of clergy. Mm. And I've been hearing it, right? But since taking over concern and reaching out, I'm, I'm feeling it. And so, so my focus right now is to, is to get more clergy outside of the four walls and to make sanctuary at the intersection of church and society. That's, that's what the Jones administration of concerned black clergy is focused on. You know, it's funny because, and I know we've had this discussion before privately, but um, one of the things that I hear so much is, and I say young people, and I, I say it, Ah, loosely, because I'm a young person, but people who are younger than me, right? Um, they don't see the church the way I seen it growing up. They don't see the church the way our grandmother raised <clears> us in church, or my mom may have raised us in church. They see the church as being a, a place where we're more judgmental than day to day operational out there, like out there in the community doing these things. So I remember one time I had a young lady on the podcast, and she was like. Um, when I went out to the rallies for George Floyd, I didn't see no pastors out there. You know, I wasn't seeing any preachers out there. It was college students. It was people who were not in church on the pews every Sunday who were out there doing the most work. And I was like, wait, wait, you know, wait a minute. But then as I began, like you, to start reaching out to churches and to start trying to build these connections, man, I've probably gotten more, <laughs> more friendliness from outside of my community, and this is as speaking as a as an associate pastor, right? Outside of my community, than I have from within the community. What's what do you feel like has changed? Is it has the church changed, or is, is the times that the people is black the way life we, is is we're in a we're disoriented, hmm. um, and we're trying to, you know, it's it's almost like cultural vertigo. We're trying to just get steady. Right. Just, you know, get steady. We're trying to steady ourselves. The church is trying to steady itself. Black educators are trying to steady themselves. Um, there are outside influences that are covert, um, that are systemically, I believe, uh, being infused in social media, um, these devices. Um, are causing us to lose our equilibrium. Mm. And so it's not just the church, because I, I'm, I'm on the phone with a mother who's telling me I can't, I don't know what to do with these children. Right. I'm on the phone with a principal who's telling me I, I, I want to retire. I, I don't, you know, I, this is not what I, what I wanted. I feel like a warden in a prison more so than a principal in an educational. So there needs to be a calling to consciousness, a great awakening within our community that shakes us 
You've had leaders that have attempted to do this throughout the years. Um, you know, we could go through the, the, the spikes from civil rights, pre-civil rights, civil rights, post-civil rights, to black nationalism, to Farrakhan and public enemy in the 1980s. You know, Chuck D saying Farrakhan's a prophet that I think you ought to listen to, and everybody turns to him, and he comes out with a tour that says, hey, y'all brothers, you got to stop the killing. And then, and then... California says, well, we want to get into the hip-hop game, too, so we're going, we're going to introduce something called gangster rap. I mean, I, I could t I'm not going to go through that, but, but, but there have been influences that have come in and have turned our chicken noodle soup into gumbo, and we didn't see all the ingredients that were going in. And because we have had within community, we have coped, but we have had the deficiencies that we have had. We weren't prepared for it. And right now, we need to shake ourselves awake because we're not facing, I mean, like a crisis is not coming, we're in the crisis. We are in the crisis. We are in the soup. Of the, and we're sinking fast. Mm -hmm. We're sinking fast. Um, and as I look at this generation, and as a pastor, the things that I hear, and I don't know if we still, you got to stop me, I'll, 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 I'll get moving. But as I deal with this generation, I'm noticing that there is a deterioration of the stuff that we had that got us over. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I'd like to ask, <clears throat> as I was listening, a question came to mind. Are we about getting back to the basics and starting from that, uh, or, or are we at a point where getting back to the basics just won't be enough? Basics, you know, just, uh, you know, well, I don't know how many ministers still use blessing oil, but they, as opposed to just saying a prayer, are they? Are we still laying hands? Are they using the oil, laying hands on folks? Are we just speaking the word out? Getting back to the basics um, in the core beliefs of the church, and then applying that, you know, towards households. Have we gotten past uh, beyond the point where? Um, you know, getting the kids, getting our families into the churches, getting the children, being able to teach them in the church. Are we, have we gotten so far away from it that we can't get back to it? I'm hoping we can get back to it. So, so that's why I talk about the, the cultural vertigo. Mm -hmm. Because it only appears as though the world is spinning. But it's a chemical imbalance that once you harness it, and we get it under control, then we can put our feet back on the ground, because it's it's because because this that is our crisis. The the spirit, the cultural vertigo is our crisis. But the world is not spinning, because I can go in Chinatown today, and the children are walking around with the same devices, but their culture is not gone from them. I, I can go into uh, in Chicago, you know what they used to call. Jewtown, mm -hmm. and uh, which is the Jewish community, and the children 
have the devices, but culturally they are not disoriented. They still have, have the, the, so we've got to get black life's feet back on the ground of reality. Um, well, the cops are killing us, the cops are doing this, that, and the other. Yes, they are. And they always have. They used to come get you at your house, snatch you out the house, and no one saw you for three, four days until they found you up in a tree. We have always dealt with terrorism in America. We know what terrorism is, but we also had our footing. As a pastor, I'm going to say that it's it's that that, that first and foremost, it's it begins with God. But you can't profess a God that you hold within yourself and you don't share and you don't decide what you're going to share of God when you as a pastor as a Christian as a person of faith when you look out at the parish community the parish community will tell you what it needs and the God within, once you go into the parish community, the God within will begin to fill and plug the holes that are there. Now, what I do in my community is not what you do in your Your parish has a different need, but it's all spiritual, beginning with spiritual. It's not only spiritual, but it begins with spirituality. And then we began to look at what the other needs are. We've got to get outside of, 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 of the walls. We've got to call men back to consciousness. Because we are raising, uh, Claude Brown wrote a book, Man, Child, and the Promised Land, 19, early 70s. New York writer, Harlem writer, and he talked about this this notion of, of black men, black boys being raised with so much hell around them that it hardens them and it makes them men while still being boys because they have to deal with things that only men should have to deal with and, and they're raised in this reality. Um, water boys on the street corners are not out there because they have nothing better to do. They're out there because there's an absence of a father in a home. And mama's got two or three other children, maybe by daddy or maybe by three different other. And so I'm little man. And I have to go sell this water you know, because when I sell drugs, they lock me up, and I got a case of now I'm selling this water I get for $2.82 at Walmart. I sell 10 cases of them. I can make hundreds of dollars, 
and I take that home to take care of my mother. Now, I have to get a gun because I have to protect my business. And so all of this dysfunction is all dealing with that, that equilibrium being off, beginning with the spiritual, the absence of the father, the mother having to be daddy and mama, disorientation, children not being able to be children because there's no structure there. So then they, they and, and there's pain and angst and hurt, and then they go to school and they act out. And in the schools, there aren't assistant principals anymore where they send you the principal. Now there are officers in the school. So now you, you, your kid can get a case and, get it become, and be put in the system for going to get an education. They're outside influences, stuff that slipped into our soup and turned our soup into some gumbo that, that we don't want. If that answers you in a very meandering, roundabout way, I'm going to keep coming back to, uh, to the fact that I think we can and we must, but it's for conscious people to begin to call us back to, to consciousness and community. And I would say, this, you know, it's interesting. Um, I was in Paris, and I was touring Notre Dame, and one of the things that really captivated me, and I, I think I came back and told the story to everybody, I said the kids didn't have iPads. They didn't have tablets in the church. They had it outside of it. But when they stepped into the church, all that stuff went away. And you and I both know, all of us know, like, you go into a church now, you take a child's tablet in the middle of service, it's, you might as well be ready to cast out a demon because that child is not going to just be okay with that. Mm -hmm. And I think it does come back to, down to that cultural difference. I grew up in a generation where um, when I was growing up in the early 90s, you didn't do that. I went to a very old school church. I mean, if you would sleep on the aisle, whoever was on the aisle wake with you, you woke you up. And mm -hmm. if you didn't want to just wake up and they told you to wake up, there was a hand Stay. coming to help and assist you, right? Um, and we've gotten out of that mentality of it takes a village to raise a child because definitely in our culture, nobody needs to talk to my baby but me. Nobody needs to correct my baby but me. And, and that's, that's a mistake. I think that's a huge mistake um, because it does take a village to raise a child. And, and, and we think about it from this perspective. No one person manages their own business, right? If your business becomes successful or not, or whether or not it's not, there's usually more people behind the scene, right? Um, Reverend Shannon is not Reverend Shannon because of just his great gifts, but it's the people who stand behind him who help support him, right? Um, and we can't deny that. It, it takes a village. Black push is not black push. Just because Sean's face is always the front face doesn't mean that there's not people behind Sean that make sure that Sean stays on track. Hence, everything about this place, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that village should take a, that, that village mentality is something that we've lost in the church. And even from this perspective, the church has become way too political, right? Um, from the sense that we run the church more so like a business versus running the church for what it was supposed to be. The Bible says back in the old time, you know, one of the things that we've been working on, I know you and I have been working on tremendously, is that there was not a shaking that you used the word shaking. And what came to my mind was the book of Acts. The Bible says when everybody was in Jerusalem on one accord in one place, then there was a shaking, right? Until the head... <laughs> The head, the pastors come together and um, get on one accord, 
in one place. That shaking won't happen. There won't be a change in our churches. There won't be a change in our community. One of the things that you said something earlier that you said, well, what wakes you up before your alarm is homelessness. Well, wakes me up before my alarm is homelessness. That's one of them. But also, too, to think that we have so many churches in all these communities, but there's no power in these communities. And that, for me, every day I wake up with asking myself, like, as a, as a church, what could we do or what could I do to make sure that the community, at least, that God has protected or put me in a place to serve, there's some power, right? We're seeing some kind of adjustments there. We're reaching out to the youth. We're reaching out to the older people in the community. We're reaching out. We just had a lady on the show last week, Carol Massey, and she was talking about a report they have where they were outlining by the, um, I think it was Pennsylvania State, they did a report where they were talking about um, expulsions and, and suspensions in schools. And we looked at Gwinnett County, and they said that Gwinnett County and Gwinnett County African Americans made up 28.3% of the people enrolled in schools. Of the um, expulsions and suspensions, we made up 49.1%. 49.1%. And we talk about it in from the justice system, how we are improportionately sentenced. But it's not just starting there. <laughs> it's starting, and these babies are in middle school, high school. They're being improportionately suspended. I'm, we're working on a case right now with a young man in Gwinnett. We'll meet with the school board in Gwinnett tomorrow, virtually about a case of a young black man who was called the inappropriate word, and he pushed somebody, and now it's this whole big thing. You know what I'm saying? But he can be charged with a crime. With a crime. For a person calling him the N-word. <laughs> um, and, and this is a 13-year-old year old child, mm-hmm. right? Um, how do, from, from a church perspective, how do we get back to that? You know what I'm saying? Because we can't expect the community to get back to it unless we go back to the core ourselves. And a lot of us, you know, um, a lot of the clerk, like I was reading today, I can't think that the Catholic Church is getting ready to go into their, um, their um, synopsis this week to kind of look at the doctrine, look at what they need to reform about it. Don't you think that as a body, for the body of Christ, the body of Christ needs a synopsis. Uh, we need to come together on one accord in one place and look at what's going on and bring the, you know, Dr. Carter, Dr. Matt King Carter, my old pastor, used to always say, if you're going to preach. Oh, I understand um, you more better now. <laughs> if you're going to preach, you got to have a newspaper in one hand and you got to have a Bible, Bible in, in the other. In the other. Right. You cannot Tell preach um, Jonah to a generation that understands Twitter, That's Facebook, right. and um, Instagram, right? Um, Jonah does not work for them. <laughs> they can't imagine a man being stuck in a billable well, but they can't imagine a person trying to laying down on the ground the police officer putting their hand on their neck. How do I preach George Floyd through Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, what do we have to do to get back to that, that core? Right, is, 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 to, to, is to be relevant, right, mm-hmm. to that need. So you said, okay, Jonah in the belly of a whale, but Raheem in the belly of the beast. Right. I understand. But before you say, well, that's Raheem, Rebecca and Rashawn are in the belly of a system that controls them or that wants to pull them into a system because they smoke in a little weed or this, that, and they get count, caught in the state of Georgia with, I can't, I can't what, what is it, how many ounces? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> that, was a te- that was a test question. <laughs> but a certain amount, I, I can't remember how many ounces. It was a very small amount, one 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 year in in this one year imprisonment thousand dollar fine for something that's totally legal in DC totally legal in California New York New York 
play Madden football ever? All the time. Okay. The, the players are avatars. Mm -hmm. When you're not controlling, so your men are, when you show up, your, your players are on the field. The game, come, the players are there, right? You pick your players, right? Okay. Yes. If you don't use your joystick, what does your avatar do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's there. It's present. But there's no, there, it has, something's missing. There's no power mm -hmm. and no direction. And that's the church. Mm -hmm. It's there. And the young people are asking a very theological question. Where's the church? Oh, you go down two blocks, uh, make a left on Euclid, and the church will be right there. No, I'm not asking you where the church building is. Mm -hmm. Because I, I didn't have to go study systematic theology. I didn't have to go study New Testament, Old Testament, Greek. I didn't have to go study church administration to understand that the church has a role, that it should be doing something, that it should be the catalyst of community. It is the change agent. It is the griot. It is the, the, the leader of leaders in the community. It sets the order. When I'm asking you, where is it? I'm not asking you where the building is. I'm asking you where the power is. Because that's what brings the order. Jesus didn't spend his time in the temple. He called folk out of the temple. He didn't send them two by two into the temple. He sent them two by two into the villages. He told them, don't take nothing. Don't take money. Don't, don't even take your sword with you. Put your gat down and go in a place of peace and see what the needs are. And my father will be through you the need. Part of this equilibrium goes back to, let's go, go back to the young lady that said, no, I got my children. I don't need you. I don't need a village because I'm suspect of what happens. And why am I suspect what happened? Because if we can if we can move away from the village, then we can allow the kind of bacteria to grow where no one sees it. So the mother that says, don't talk to my children, where does that come from? Because you, you will hurt my child. How, why, why would I hurt your child? Because I was hurt. Who hurt you? Uncle so-and-so hurt me. Uncle so-and-so had his way with me. From the age of 10 to 15. Why didn't we know this? Because y'all were busy looking in other ways and the family didn't get together and we didn't, we lost something. Something happened that was broken in us and it broke us down. So now when I get my children, I'll come to church. But what's mine is mine. I'm not trying to be in common union with you. 
I'm not trying to have communion with you. I'm not trying to be together with you. I'm not trying to, to build family and community. Just give me my word for my own personal aggrandizement, and I'll move on. That's, and that's un-African. That's not who we are. And so, so because we, we, we said the church, but I'm, I'm thinking from a black church optic, right? Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll have to say this too. You know, recently there is a, um, there's been this theology that we as people don't need people. And I remember um, Noel, Bishop Noel Jones, he preached a sermon and he was talking about how, how we can have that theology when God himself said it is not good for man to be alone, right? And we know in the Genesis he said that he walked with Adam in the day of, you know, in, in the garden throughout the day. But he still looked at Adam and said, ah, it's the part of Adam that I realized that when I created him, I can never satisfy by him. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the things that we have to get back to reality is that it takes community. That's the reason why tomorrow, even with, I know we're getting my, ready to my do My God can't be my Gwen. Right, and he uses, but he and he uses people, and yeah. he uses people. Yeah. Like, I mean, and people forget that the promise he made to Abraham. He says that, and through thy seed, all the nations shall be blessed. Which right. means he was going to use Abraham's children right. to right. be a blessing to the world. Right. Right. Um, and and we have to get back to that. And, you know, I think that's a part of the reason why we're getting ready to go do an event tomorrow. Um, it is called Closure with the Candle, candle mm-hmm. right? Um, and we'll be doing that where and what's going on tomorrow. So we'll be doing it at. Uh, Forgive me, I'm going to give you the address because I've left the address in my mind, but we're at Bishop Michael Canyon's church in the Pittsburgh community of Atlanta. Uh, We're calling clergy to come outside of the four walls um, and to to, to begin to to light the darkness. So we're not, this is not a call for the whole church. It's a call for the leadership to come and to meet us um, there in a community that has had a astronomical amount of gun violence. Um, we're not going in with a bunch of security. Folks say, well, do you want the police to be there with you? Uh, we're going two by two. <laughs> we're going by faith to go in and to pray in this community. But as we're praying in this community, we're also seeing the need and asking the Lord to speak to us as we speak to community people. Right. What are you all doing? Well, we're coming to bring light in in in, in this in this area of darkness we're bringing light in our community we're, we're getting so i'm trying to get clergy and the spirit laid this on me to try to get clergy to be more engaged um we are going to start in this area we're going to go to every major county and we're going to be gathering clergy and then uh, when the delta variant or whatever the eastern variant, whatever's next when that is gone and we get enough folks commonsensically understanding whether they should or should not be vaccinated. Uh, We want to go to a very large space and have a night of light. But clergy with a candle will continue to be uh, a group of clergy from varying spectrums, right? Black, white, liberal, conservative, uh, coming together around the central message of Christ and, and having dangerous conversations about what the body needs to be doing. So if people want to find out more information about Concerned Black Clergy events you guys have going on, they can go to? They can go to www.concernedblackclergy.com. Okay. And so we want to remind people, even though this air for like a week, 
that event is being hosted on October 7th. Um, but there'll be more events like this. So if you're a pastor and you want to connect, go to ConcernedBlackClergy.com. I know they have contact information there as well. Yes, they do. They have all. The, you go to ConcernedBlackClergy.com, www.ConcernedBlackClergy.com, and we'll get you connected to us and to Black Push and to everybody else uh, that you need to be connected to. You can join us every Monday uh, on our Facebook page, ConcernedBlackClergy.com, at 11 a.m. Uh, for our weekly forums. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. And this is the part of the reason why I, I dislike talking to you because our conversations can go on forever. <laughs> like, I feel like we need to extend this another 20 minutes. We got to talk about postmodernism <laughs> and how that, we have to talk about that and, and how that's been put in the soup. That's, see, that's the reason why we have to have you back. Yeah. We have to have you back. Wow. But thank you so much for your time today, man. Thank you. Thank um, you, Sean. And thank, thank you. everybody who out there who participated and watched today. And we look forward to seeing you guys again tomorrow. Until next time, have a blessed day. Thank mm-hmm. you.